Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case File 14, Betty Williams. Hello. Welcome back, people. Hello, hello. Lone Star 187ers. We missed you guys. Yeah, we I did. Hope you, I hope that you missed us, too. We hope you had a good Easter weekend with your family. I know we did. We did have a great time. Yeah. Time with family, food music laughing oh yes lots of music yeah so this week where are we at oh this week we're in odessa texas we are in odessa yes odessa texas it is about 350 miles due west from here the population is 116,000, and at the time that this murder that we're going to cover happened the population was 80,000. Some more interesting facts about Odessa. In 2013 they had the highest rate of violent crimes in Texas Wow. with 106 crimes per 100,000 inhabitants. That's crazy. Yep. The economy is primarily driven by the area's oil industry. Many of the city's largest employers are oil-filled supply companies and petrochemical processing companies. Also Ratliff Stadium is there. I don't know if you're familiar with this one. This is the stadium they used when they filmed Friday Night Lights. Yes, yes. That was one of my favorite shows. And it's home of the Permian Panthers. When I was in high school, our football team and Odessa Permian were big rivals. So those games were always really fun to watch. And it has one of the largest high school stadiums in the state listed at number seven. Um, the capacity of that one is 19,000. And because I used to live in Allen and that's where one of my daughters graduated high school and they spent so much money on theirs, I wanted to see how it compared. It's not as big. Well, maybe bigger as far as like when you look at it but the capacity of the Allen Eagle Stadium is only 18,000 wow and Ratliff is 19,000 so pretty big all right that's what I got about Odessa I lived there for a little while too actually after I graduated high school so that's all about Odessa Texas so on March 22nd of 1961 a girl by the name of Elizabeth Jean Williams who went by Betty Mm -hmm. she was 17 She went to Odessa High School, and she is not at home. Her mother gets up Wednesday morning, and she goes to check on Betty because normally she's up already getting ready for school. She tries to open Betty's bedroom door, and it's locked. She thought that was odd because while she admitted that sometimes Betty would lock her door, she would normally at least unlock it, if not open it, when she went to sleep. So Betty also had another door in her bedroom that led outside. Betty's mom walked outside around to the door that led outside and walked in, and Betty was wasn't in her room. So she panicked, went and told her husband, Betty's not in her room. Of course, he goes in. Her bed's not slept in like she hadn't been home. They call the police immediately. And during that time of them calling the police, the school calls to say that she isn't there. She didn't make it to her first class, which was not like her. And they're like, yeah, we know she's not here. The parents thought it was strange that, you know, because she didn't come to breakfast. The first officer that comes to their home, Officer James Brown, they tell him she was supposed to go and have a Coke date. I I read that and I was like, With her the night before. Did you see what a Coke date meant? You go to the soda shop and drink some Coca-Cola? But you bring it back to the house. That's what makes it a date. You can't have it in the restaurant. Oh, So what makes it a date is that you either have it in the car on the side of the road or at a house. But that's what classifies it from not just going and having a Coke at a restaurant to have a Coke date. It would mean that you would have it in a car outside the house. Is that back when it had real cocaine in it or was it even further back? Maybe. Okay. Maybe like it had like a straw. So it was a Coke date. Maybe like a cocaine maid came out with a straw <laughs> and a plate and a bottle of Coke. On roller skate. It's like, here you go. And are you here for the Coke date? Is that what you're here for? Yeah. So apparently she had had this Coke date with this boy. and But he says, you know, I brought her back. So the officer finds the boy she had had this Coke date with. And he's was this like, her boyfriend or just another boy at this school? This is her or... boyfriend. His name was Ink. Ink Nail. Ink Nail. 
And they had a date. And during their date, her ex-boyfriend, John Mac Herring, but he went by Mac, Mm -hmm. pulls up. And so she gets out of Ink's car and goes and gets in Mac's car. And that's the last time that he saw her. The officers were like, we're going to have to go find this Mac guy. Now he's the last person that has seen her. Before we get to what happens at the school, a little background on who Betty was. Betty was a very interesting character. Betty was very... She was ahead of her time for sure. Yeah, she... I agree. I think she was Mm -hmm. born in the wrong time. I think that with her city life dreams and the things that she thought were cool and like her hippie-ish mentality for the 60s was set way too far back like if she if she was she had been raised in the late 70s mid to late late 70s of being 60s 60s yep into the 70s woodstock and all that i think she she would have have been perfect yep i agree a lot of people at school remembered her after the fact but during the time when she was in school she wasn't very popular in the sense that People knew of her because she made herself known, but a lot of people didn't know her. They just knew of her. Okay. Um, she lived in a very small house on an unpaved street not far from where the oil fields were in town. Mm-hmm. And so that side of town was known as the less rich side, the more poor side of town. I read about the oil fields were just west of there and you could see them. Of course, you know, Texas is so the flat. You could see all those. That was... In some people's mind in Odessa, that was like, if you can see them from where you're at, you're too close, so you're Aww. just poor. And they lived on paved streets, and these were still dirt roads. So it was just kind of a... Wrong side of the track yeah. kind of deal. So her, her dad was a carpenter, and her mom worked at JCPenney. Shout out to Teresa and Jerry. She was raised in a very strict Baptist home. Her dad very much wanted her to pray with her every Sunday morning. And to be an obedient daughter. Those are the two things he asked of her. If you do those two things, you'll prosper in life. You'll make me happy. So just do that. So the praying with him every morning, she did. (laughs) Obedient, she was not. She did whatever she wanted. She was a little bit kind of a rebel. And she very much... Very much was. Um, she also loved drama. She was also part of a social group in the school called the Cashmere Girls. These were girls that had perfect complexions. Most of them were from the more prominent areas in the neighborhoods. They were the most popular, the best personality. And most of the time, they were the class favorites. Most likely to succeed. Yeah, like they were like the it girls, you know? They were the mean girls of the 60s. But they let her in because she. it was hard to not want her in your group because she was fun. She did stick out, but sometimes she could stick out like a sore thumb. So you see this side of her being in drama, having some Christian-like tendencies in the sense that she prayed and she read the Bible and she went to church with her family. But there was another side of Betty that she kept somewhat hidden and she also displayed some of it. So you were saying before that she had another door in her bedroom that led outside. Mm Mm-hmm. After her parents had gone to bed, she would go out the other door. There was a place that was known well in town called Tommy's Drive-In. That's where all the boys would go and wait in their cars for girls to meet them and hang out with them. Did all the girls in Odessa have a separate door in their bedroom? That's a good question. I don't know. She made it no secret that she was not a prude. She liked to have sex. She liked to experiment. She was only 17. And she didn't care who knew it, but she didn't want to come off as a hoe. Okay. You know, I'm getting some mixed signals here. That's a little difficult. (laughs) And she was also, so apparently in Odessa, during this time, a lot of girls were known as what they called Odessians. When some of these girls would go to other cities in Texas, like say Abilene or maybe San Angelo or Big Spring, boys would ask them, are you an Odessian? That meant that you would have a boyfriend. You would say, go to the sock hop with. Or you would go to the movies with or... Normal dating stuff. Regular boyfriend. But when he dropped you off at home, you may go out with someone else and just have sex with them. No strings attached, no relationship. You just would sleep with other guys. But you had to keep it on the down low. Couldn't talk about it. Couldn't tell people about it. So the first rule of being an Odessian girl is to not talk about being an Odessian girl? She would sleep with these other guys... But she didn't keep it quiet. They're like, listen, like, dude, you're going to get me caught. (laughs) Like, don't talk about what you do because then I'm going to get in trouble. Got it. You know? Okay, that makes sense. So she would walk up to these cars that were parked in the drive-in waiting for their, you know, french fries. And she would be like, I could have sex with you if you want. And if you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you. After you finish your stuff, like, we can go park somewhere and I'll show you. 
And she would. And some of these guys had girlfriends. Mm. Though they could flaunt, like, hey, you know, I slept with Betty Williams the other night. And the guys were like, hey, you know, high five, great, you know, great for you. But she couldn't go to school when having a boyfriend and say, I just slept with so-and-so because then she would be a whore. And then she's out in the community. Right. So it was when one of the articles that I read, it said that while boys were free to do as they pleased, these good Odessian girls were expected to obey an unspoken code of conduct. If a girl had a steady boyfriend, then she could have sex as long as she didn't advertise it or talk about it. These were known as Odessians. Wow. If she did have sex with someone who wasn't her boyfriend, then she was to take it to her grave. And this was a time when there was no such thing as AIDS. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, mm-hmm. and what if the boy talked? Like, what the, if the boy, the, the boy, the boy could talk, but he couldn't say who he slept with okay. because if she was spoken for, if she wasn't, then he could be like, "Yeah, I slept with so and so." So Betty had got out of Ink's car and she got into Max's car. Mm-hmm. That time, that was her ex boyfriend. Yep. The previous fall, Odessa had a new drama teacher that wasn't as fond of Betty as she felt that they should be, or as some of the previous drama teachers. Yes. She had wanted to play a role in a new play that they were doing called Winterset. She found out that not only was she not cast in the play, but her ex, Mac, would be playing one of the lead roles. He was a gangster that had killed people. Dang. Mm-hmm. Since they had broken up, which I have the letter that she wrote him. And the, uh, the, the girl that got the lead role was one of her friends. So here she is a senior and she wanted to go to college for drama. So for a senior, the last thing you want to do is be a lead role in the play if you're going to go on and study drama in college. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the fact that this was her senior year... And this was probably the last play because it's March and they're probably going to graduate in a few months. Mm -hmm. She was pretty devastated. And so she had to watch her ex-boyfriend and her best friend, I think her name was Gail, do the play. And I think she was a cassette manager or something like that. So she was behind the scenes. She was a stage manager. Yep. So definitely not happy about that. So I guess Mac gave her a letter, breaking ties with her and breaking up with so her. So he broke up with her from a letter. Through a letter, So yeah. this is like texting. Yeah, basically. Don't, don't break up with me over text. How dare you? All right. So she writes him back and this is what she says. Mac, well, I guess you accomplished what you set out to do. You hurt me more than you'll ever know. When you handed me that note this morning, you virtually changed the course of my life. I don't know what I expected the note to say, but not that. I'll not waste my time saying that I didn't deserve it because I guess I did. I've never been so hurt in my life and I guess your note was the jolt I needed to get me back on the straight and narrow. I've done a lot of things I know that were bad and cheap, but I swear before God that I didn't mean them to be like that. I was just showing off. I know it's much too late with you, Mac, but I swear that another boy won't get the chance to say what you said to me. You've made me realize that instead of being smart and sophisticated like I thought I was, I was only being cheap and ugly and whorish. Forgive me for writing this last note and thank you for reading it. I'll not trouble you again and Mac, I haven't forgotten the good times we had. I really have enjoyed knowing you and I'm awfully sorry that it had to end this way. Best of luck with you and your new girlfriend. I hope she's the best. Betty, P.S. When you think of me, try to think of the good times we had and not of this. How sad. So I guess he, you know, he's moved on. But I mean, if she was sleeping with these other guys and he found out, even if it was an unspoken thing, he may have been like, you know what? No. Yeah. Like I'm either you're with, with me that. or you're not with yeah. me. But yeah. you can't be both. And maybe that's why she felt horish afterwards. I mean, I don't know the extent of what caused him to break up. So she writes this letter to him. Right. So I'm sure he probably feels bad. Mm-hmm. During the stage manager role she's watching him rehearse and you know that has to be hard for her Mm -hmm. whenever she's going through this breakup she confides in one of her friends and tells her mac was the one and without him life isn't worth living she said she wanted to die if she couldn't make it work with mac her cousin shelton Mm -hmm. said he was a year behind her he was a junior at at odessa high school and she told him i have to get him back her mood started changing shortly after this happened after he broke up with her yes And though she had confided in her friend that she had been writing in her diary how she'd been feeling. And she had been writing in there that she was thinking about having the urge to want to die because of this whole situation with Mac. And I guess her dad found her diary and he read it. The part that bothered me when I read this is not that he was upset or worried that his daughter may want to die. He was upset about what she wrote that she did with boys in the diary. I'd be upset by that too. She was only 17. I'd be more concerned that my daughter wants to die. All the other stuff would be 
that wouldn't Fair matter enough. to me. That's, I guess he focused on the wrong thing, but. And I so mean, she said that her situation at home was bad, that her relationship with her dad was not good. Her cousin wanted to help her, but he was only 16 at the time. Her cousin Shelton, they were really close, he and Betty. And he recalled one night his phone rang and it was Betty. And she said, hey, Shell, guess who I screwed tonight? And he said, what? And she said a guy named Bill Rose. Bill Rose was one of the most popular football players at Odessa who was also friends with Mac. So this may have been why Mac broke up with her because, of course, Bill went back to school and told everybody, hey, you know, I I screwed Betty. He and Mac were really close friends. So now I think between... Mac breaking up with her, her sleeping with Bill, Bill telling everyone that was getting spread through school. She wasn't lead in the play. She was a senior. Everybody was talking about her. I think it just became too much for her. Too much, yeah. So she started telling her friends that she'd be better off dead. She told um, a friend of hers, Howard Sellers, heaven must be a really nice place and I'd like to visit sooner rather than later. Well, and you mentioned that her dad found her diary. So after he found it, you know, he was yelling at her and he left the room and came back and he said, you got this letter. So evidently she'd been accepted into college. And he said, you're not going anywhere. He ripped the letter up and told her she wasn't going anywhere, that she would have to stay home, get a job and go to church. And he said she was a ruined girl and told her to get down her, on her knees and pray. That is so messed so up. So I, I can kind of see where she thought maybe not being around might be better because it seems like everything was falling apart all at once. Her home life, her relationship with her boyfriend, and the relationship with all of her classmates. Like everybody was, I mean, most of it was from her actions, but, but it's still. going to church and getting a job and praying every day isn't going to make her not want to have sex with men. That is a healthy, that is a healthy thing for a girl to Agreed. go through. So instead of making her think that it's a bad thing. Her, yeah. And her, what her sexual urges are and the time in her, I mean, she's 17. You go through puberty. That mm-hmm. happens. That's true. And then saying what you work so hard for in your future that I have in your, my hands right now, I'm going to tear it up. Like, what did he think would happen? I don't know. That's so sad. I didn't know that. Like, I rips it up and then, and then, so her mom is standing in the doorway and her dad walks out and, you know, I would go in and be like, oh, like kind of console her. The mom just kind of looked at her and ran after the husband. And I I know it's a, a different time as far as sexuality and everything. It's a hush hush thing. But at the end of the day, like, that's your daughter. Mm-hmm. And if she's hurting or what if she's going through something, obviously. She's crying for attention somewhere. Maybe it's her father. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really sad. So she's telling these people she may want to kill herself. She told people she had tried to kill herself by taking four aspirin. Yeah, she told which... her cousin that. And he told her, well, that's just going to cure a headache. You're not going to get yeah. hurt by that. Yeah. And that she was going to throw herself off. She's going to climb to the top of the state of the theater and throw herself off. But she walked up there and then like didn't have the courage to throw herself off. She, of course, like we said, she was kind of outrageous. She was spunky. She she didn't really care about other people said. Um, But she just continued to talk about wanting to die to whoever would listen. Whoever would engage in conversation about it or comment on it, she would talk to them about it. And mainly people were just rolling their eyes at her and was well, people like, people yeah. didn't think she was serious. No. I mean, like she's in drama and theatrics and. Yeah. And oh, here Betty goes again. Top. She's trying to get attention. Even when she began acting more crazy during some of the rehearsals, they said that the, like she would interrupt when they were in the middle of practicing. She would just like walk in and start talking about something very random. Like one girl said, she was like, does anybody else see the thunderclouds outside? And they're like, we're in the middle of rehearsal. <laughs> What are you doing? Me, 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 me. And yeah, and it was like she just wanted this, like people to look at her and listen to her whenever she talked. Then whenever people would listen to her, she would talk about wanting to die. And that, and not in a depressing way, that it was a happy thought. Like I wonder, like I said earlier, like what Mm -hmm. would heaven be like? Or then I wouldn't have to worry about these tendencies I've been having or these thoughts I've been having. About five students, she had told that she wanted to kill herself but didn't have the nerve. But would they be willing to do it for Mm -hmm. her? So she asked one guy named Mike Ware, and he said, no, I don't think I will, passing it off as a joke. <laughs> and then um, another kid, a sophomore named Jim Mercer, said, oh, I really charge for my services, yeah, and it would be um, $60 million. I think you could afford it, yeah. And he gave, like, a high amount, like $60 million. Like, you know, $60 million then was probably, like, mm-hmm. but now, like, what, probably $100, $120 million now. So... I mean, all these people are not taking into consideration how serious the problem is, that she's just continually talking about 
not wanting to be on this earth anymore. You know, you wonder is she is something that she really wants to do or or not. So a, a week before Winterset was supposed to premiere, and you know the students are all getting busy and they're doing their final dress rehearsal. The students are all getting busy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you just said. <gasps> Clearly, some of them are a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. So they were. <laughs> I almost said it again. <laughs> what i freaking typed no 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 getting busy with it no 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 so a week before winter set was scheduled to premiere the students were busy running their lines painting the set getting ready for for, for the rehearsal and in the middle of all of this betty spotted that guy mike she had asked previously to kill her and she's like oh i just want you to know it was really nice knowing you and he's like what do you mean and she's like, oh, I talked to Mac, and he's going to kill me. And he's like, okay, I'll send roses. <laughs> I think he's the salty like one. a good sense of humor. And so this was on March 20th of 1961. It's kind of eerie. And then mm-hmm. now, now she's missing, which is kind of creepy. She's missing. So she also hated conformity. Mm-hmm. And she did not like girls that wore matching sweater suits or saddle shoes. <laughs> she, she didn't like that. She felt Is it like, because it was more expensive than what she could afford, or it just that's a good question. wasn't her style? She just didn't like it. I think she tagged that way of dressing with being snooty and yeah. judgmental. So she felt like she was more intellectual, and she was more honest, especially on anything to do with boys or all the way up to religion. She loved to get a rise out of people, and she thrived on attention. So one of the things she liked to do sometimes was go to Tommy's drive-in, which, you know, was the closest place to her mm-hmm. house. On one occasion, she, or a couple occasions, she dressed in complete black, wearing white lipstick. They had white lipstick in the 60s? I guess so. All right. With a black blazer, a black jacket with like a really thin white t-shirt underneath with no bra. Or she'd wear jeans and a t-shirt with no bra, freely expressing her opinions that went against everything that Odessa was for and her belief that segregation was unjust and that blacks should not have to attend a separate a separate high school across the railroad tracks. Good for her. And she would say it in the drive-in with her white shirt and her boobs hanging out everywhere. She was totally fine with it. And didn't you say in the documentary they showed her like kind of strutting her stuff? Yeah, and that they play this one loop a couple of times where it looks like they're in a soda shop and there's like the, a little bar thing and there are people sitting in chairs up against the, the window and it's all people that she goes to high school with. They've got their Letterman jackets on and stuff. And she strolls in and and she's got like a, a pair of black slacks on there kind of tight and a, a white sheer shirt and you can tell she's not wearing a bra and she's just kind of strolling in and you know just strutting her stuff looking at everybody and smiling and stopping at the bar and kind of leaning over and like sticking her ass out looking around to see who's looking Hmm. Um, and she does that a couple of they show that a couple of times so it was just her thing is what she did yeah and she had told a friend her senior year most people just don't understand me there are people willing to be my friends but mostly they are either too ignorant to understand why i'm like i am and consequently offer my mind no challenge or they haven't the wits to match mine well there's that and i'm sure the other girls were like threatened by her because i'm sure they knew that when they went home and went to bed after their coke date they were gonna go call betty they were gonna show up in betty's alley and i wonder if she's what started the term betty like, oh, she's a real Betty. Oh, let's just, let's say she did. Let's say she did. Because she's very pretty in the she, pictures she I've is. seen. She is, yeah, she, she is. She does have a perfect complexion, and she seems cool. Well, and, I mean, she, so she likes her... sex. Like, well, but I know the... I know during that time it wasn't okay, and it, it's not okay to sleep with everybody. I mean, you gotta tone it down a little bit, but. Well, yeah, you don't, how are you gonna make friends with the girls you go to high school with if you're screwing their boyfriend? You can't. But she's like, I can't help it, I'm a Betty. <laughs> well, but, well, I mean, and the girls should be pissed at their boyfriend, too. Like, look. Agreed. It takes two. Just because she it is offering two. it doesn't mean you have to say yes. You can say no. It's fine. Yeah, it's okay to not have sex with that one this yeah. time. It's alright. There'll be plenty more. So I'm more. sure she didn't, like, force them. So, yeah. 50-50 yeah. there. So, that's kind of who Betty was. And right. it may seem like, well, get to the juicy stuff, which we're almost there. But we wanted you to understand who she was to explain where we're going. 
It'll make a lot of sense. So they go to the school and they talk to Mac. And what does Mac tell them? So he tells them, first he lies and says that he hung out with her a little bit in the alley. But then she, that, no, he says they went driving around. And this is how they know he's lying. Because he's like, yeah, we drove around. We just talked. And then I dropped her back off. And she went into the house through the front door. Well, they knew he was lying because one, she wouldn't do that because she had a door in her bedroom and she didn't go through the front door because she didn't want to wake up her parents. She didn't want right. to run that risk. Right. So when he said that, they're like, okay, you want to try again? Because we're pretty sure you're lying. And he tried another bullshit story and they're just standing there like, nope, that's not going to work. You know, we already know she got out of her boyfriend's car and got into your car you were the last one to see her. So we're going to need to know the truth. So he finally says, well, I know where she is. Dang. All right. So he tells them where she is. They get him and four detectives. They get in the car and, they, and they're driving. So they're driving and they're driving and they're driving. And they, they're like, this, this kid, we're on a wild goose chase. What the hell's going on? We don't know. So she was like 30 miles further west from Odessa. So he takes them to a ranch where his dad has a hunting lease. Okay. So they pull up and he says, he points to the water. They all get out of the car and he just stands there and he's very calm. He's not upset. He's not crying. He's not nervous. He is just cool, calm and collected. And they're standing around and they can't really believe that he's just standing there like, okay, well here's, she's in there. So they start looking around and they see over to one side, there's like a pair of boots that are sitting there. Like they've been there. That they thought was odd. And one of the other detectives looks down close to the water and sees blood and some brain matter. Realizes, okay, here's our crime scene. And they turn and look. Mac is starting to get undressed. He's taking off. He takes off everything but his underwear and just calmly starts walking into the, it's a stock pond. So, and it's not very deep. Maybe I think chest deep is what they said. So he calmly just starts walking in there and kind of squats down and you can see in the documentary, he's kind of like feeling around and he grabs something and they don't really know for sure that it's her yet. They're like, they still really don't, they're trying to figure out what's going on. Their brain's like, what the hell? So he starts backing up. As he gets closer, they see that it's feet. That he's pulling a body out of the stock pond. Oh my god! So he doesn't even pull her all the way out. He pulls her to like where her feet, where they can see her feet, and she's on the enough on the bank that she won't go back in. And he just drops and steps back. And so of course now they call the coroner and all of these other people. Everybody just swarms to this this stock pond on this rancher's land. That's when he tells them, "I killed her." I shot her. Her body is identified as Elizabeth Jean Williams. They found her a little bit before noon. The guy that he confessed to was the head of the city's youth council division. He confessed to shooting her in the left temple with a 12-gauge shotgun. He said that he dumped her body there. She was weighted down with lead. He told the police that the girl had asked him to shoot her. He said she left in her home voluntary. He didn't make her leave. It was voluntarily. She was dressed in her pajamas. He told the police that the girl held the weapon to her head as he pulled the trigger. He said the gun was at home at his house in Odessa. He was very calm as he told the police the story. The policeman at this point had already talked to the kids at school, so they knew she had asked other people to kill her. They were skeptical. So body was found three miles from no trees, which is a half of a mile off of the Kermit Highway, which Kermit's another town close around there. They're definitely saying that this story is super weird. Comments from the students, they were definitely shocked. They're saying they just can't see that Mac could do something so terrible. Back at the scene, the officers are combing every area for every shred of evidence. There were six photographers, three lawmen, and three newsmen. They're taking lots of pictures. Uh, one of the lawmen shook his head and said, I've been to a lot of shootings, but this one definitely takes the cake. I thought this was really interesting that while they're, they're investigating the crime scene, he's just standing there calm and they're letting him walk around. I After guess, I just... guess since he's already confessed, we, we've just had a lot of situations in the other stories where they're like, letting people clean up crime scenes, yeah, churches yeah. and stuff like that. So it just seems odd to me that they're just letting him walk around. They haven't handcuffed him. Nothing. He's I mean, walking he around he taking pictures. Mm -hmm. You know, obligingly poses for photographers over and over. 
while this all this investigation is going on. He said that he and Betty talked in the car. He said they sat there for 20 minutes before the shooting occurred. He said, we talked about what it was going to be like about our friends, enemies that she would never see again. One of the newsmen asked why. He said, she asked me to kill her. She begged me. They asked what was the motive. He never answered. They finished wrapping up their investigation there. It took him back to the police station. And when they got there, there were more than a dozen students from the school at the police station. One of the sophomores from the high school said this. I thought this was ironic. They were talking about Mac. Mm Mm-hmm. He's quite helpful. When someone, whenever someone has a problem, they can go to him. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Clearly, really? it, he'll even shoot you if you want. They said he was a lot of fun to be around, and none of the students could explain why she had asked for him to kill her. Um, and they're repeating, you know, that they that she had asked them as well. Her boyfriend, Ink. The story he relayed of what actually happened is they had their coke date, and he dropped her off so she could go in, and her mom could see that she was home on time. Then he drove around to the alley, waited for her to come out, and he goes. She goes and gets in his car. So they're making out in her in his car, and that's when Mac pulls up. He said that she said, "Oh my God, I didn't think he would come." He said the victim told him that she and Herring had agreed to meet at midnight at her house. She told him that she had asked Herring to kill her and that she was going to. He also said the last thing she said to him, "I'm going to get out and call his bluff." Even if it kills me. So she has asked him to kill her because nobody else has agreed to, obviously. Mm -hmm. She's tried herself with four aspirin and throwing herself off of a theater. And none of those have worked. So she's asked somebody to do it. And he obviously did. He agreed to do it. Instead of going to, you know, authorities or her parents. Her boyfriend's leaving. The newsman tried to ask him more questions. He, He wouldn't answer anything. Anything else I might say would just hurt Max. So he didn't want to say anything else. And you would think that the, like, what's wrong with the boyfriend that he's not like, hey, um, Miss Williams, I know I'm probably in trouble, but like Betty just left with this guy that agreed to kill her. I guess they just, maybe he didn't believe that it was actually going to, I mean, I don't think I would believe it. I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, Of course, some of the other students are like, yeah, she asked me too. They said that she had a morbid sense of humor. Basically, had asked every single person that was in the play at one time or another, but no one took her seriously. Mm -hmm. But clearly she was serious. A senior student and a member of the play cast said she said things like that in front of the whole groups, repeatedly saying he couldn't figure out why it happened. They didn't think that Mac was the type of person to get any pleasure out of going off and killing someone. They said that he would break his arm before he would hurt anybody. Clearly that's bullshit. A 16-year-old girl who asked not to be named said she knew the victim only casually. She said she just couldn't believe it. Mac would never do that. And the principal of the high school termed the victim and Herring as normal average students. He said Miss Williams' grades were average while Herring's were above average. Hmm. He said neither student had ever been in trouble in school or had ever undergone any special counseling for any reason. So the parents are clearly grief-stricken and could only sit. So they're also at the police station. They're just sitting there in stunned disbelief, trying to figure out why their daughter was found shot to death. They were dumbfounded and shocked. They said their daughter was one of four, so she had three siblings, which no other... It's That's not mentioned anywhere else, like even in documentary it's almost as if this is their only child Mm -hmm. so i don't know the age range but that she was sensitive deeply religious hardly the type who would plead to be murdered her father immediately knew there was foul play when his daughter was discovered missing he said if you had known betty like we knew her you wouldn't feel she'd run away her mom said that she and betty talked at length the night before after she got home from her play rehearsal She said they weren't angry. They were just having a normal conversation between mother and daughter and talked about the play and her plans for the future. She was talking about how she was interested in speech and drama and planned to study drama in college. She was making plans for the future only hours before she was killed. She asked while we were talking if she could get a job this summer to help out with college expenses. So, like, why would you have all these conversations if you were planning, was she just trying to play a role? I mean, she was Maybe. good at it. Maybe yeah. she was trying to be the, the perfect actress. Her mother said she had some toast and milk. 
And then she went to bed. She said, I heard her go to her room and close the door. She always closes the door so she wouldn't bother us, but always open it again before going to sleep, which we talked about. Her father firmly said he doesn't believe Mac's story. Uh, they did date for a short while last summer, but they stayed friends. He said he was actually here in their house just two nights ago. He said he sat right there pointing to a chair in their living room. Mm. Uh, they went out on the porch and talked a while. I've always liked Mac and his family. And the parents said Betty had given no indication that she was unhappy. Of course, she was unhappy sometimes, but all teenagers are. She was a normal girl interested in life. They keep talking about how deeply religious she was. I think that's just the picture they wanted to paint of her. Yeah, they were deeply religious. It and doesn't they just mean she was. I mean, you could still her... be religious and yeah. like sex. Like, it's not like one or the right. other. Right, so, and just because she was a 17-year-old teenager that didn't want to do what her parents wanted her to do didn't make did. her non-religious. Right. They didn't like the part of Mac's story where he talked about she was really pre- preoccupied with heaven and what it must be like. They didn't believe her thoughts were deep enough or strong enough to desire to die. She went to the Friendship Baptist Church, was active in religious work. Why she did it is what I can't understand. Perhaps someday I'll know. That's what her dad said. We're like a couple of days after they find her. They actually charge him with murder with malice, malice, malice. Um, so he says that after he picked her up in the driveway, that Monday, mm-hmm. she was killed Wednesday, they, right? They planned it Monday. No, she was killed Tuesday. Killed Tuesday. Okay, he so agreed Monday. to finally do it on Monday because yeah, she so, kept bugging him all week. So on Monday he did agree, and she they made the date. So he said they drove to the country and parked. Well, before that he got weights from the drama. See, I, yeah, he, he got two two weights from the stage set, I guess. Mm-hmm. Weights they use for whatever. Two lead weights. He got some wire and the shotgun. Put it all in the trunk. And then he went. In fact, off, right. I remember from the documentary, maybe that's why he was at their house. He took her to his house and let her pick what rifle to use. Shut your face. Are no, you serious? No, that's what he said. He said, I let her pick which one she wanted me to use. Go ahead for the little lady. It's our anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So she picked the rifle, oh my God. the shotgun that was used. He let her pick it. I mean, his dad was a hunter, so he had access to it. So they drive to the country and park, and they talk about, um, she talks about what it would like to be in heaven. She wasn't sad at all. She was very happy. She wanted to get close to the water. So he said they got out of the car and they walked towards the bank of the pond, but she had taken her robe off in the truck. Mm -hmm. So she was cold. And so she went back to get them. She went back to get her robe. And they were standing around the pond talking, looking at the moonlight. And she's like, I've been thinking about this for a while, and this is exactly how I thought about it, being on a beautiful, you know, somewhat spring night. I mean, it's March, mm-hmm. so it's probably a little chilly. She had well, said, she had on baby doll pink pajamas, so it's probably cold. Yeah. He had the shotgun with him, and she told him that she was sorry that she had to leave him like this. And... Well, they were just standing there. And he told her he thought it would be better if she got on her knees. So she got down on her knees. And then he pulled the shotgun up and she grabbed the end of the shotgun and pointed it at her temple and was holding it. So he said, give me something to remember you by. And she turned her face and he raised the shotgun barrel up, gave him a kiss, and he pulled the trigger and she was dead like that. She was basically almost decapitated. And so then he just tied the... The lead weights to her. So then he got the wire and um, put the lead weights around her, like put one on each side, put her in the water, and he said she immediately sunk. I guess he got undressed. You know, when he gets clothes wet, he gets undressed, takes her into the water, goes back. He puts his clothes back on, and his boots were muddy, so he left them there. He took them. He didn't want to, and he had like, well, I say that. I don't know what car he actually had, but in the documentary, it's like a really badass old Thunderbird. So it's convertible. So he leaves the boots on the ground at the scene because he doesn't want to get them wet. He sits in the car, turns the heater on, gets warmed up, and then goes home. So when he goes back the next day to show the cops, they see the boots over there. And they were his boots. And they were his boots. And then they see, you know, the the blood close to the water, like where it actually happened, the brain matter and stuff right there. When he pulls her out, like they can tell she died from a gunshot wound and the weights are still around her waist. 
son of a bitch. Yeah. His attorney waived an examining trial and he was taken to Winkler County Jail. His bond was set at $10,000 and I did the research this time. That is 80000 in today's money. William B. Diedrich, who was his attorney and his father, showed up at the jail, posted bond, and he left... He wasn't in jail very long, but they posted his bond and he walked out. After he posted bond, whenever he tells his dad that, you know, he did it and everything, he tells his dad, if you go to the house and you go in my backpack, there's a letter that she wrote me for after this happened to absolve me of of, of this crime. If you go get it and show them, maybe you won't have to pay the money. Right? So the dad goes to the house and he Mm -hmm. gets the letter. So the letter that she wrote him says... To whom it may concern, the time has come to leave, and as I prepare to go, I find it difficult to write the words that will explain. I love you, Dick, for all that you have meant to me. You've been the greatest friend I could ever ask for. Here's to all the stories we never wrote. Maybe it's better that way. They'll never be exposed to the critics or the public. I hope our story about Jerry makes it. Think of me once in a while and know that I'm glad we met. Gail, I'm sorry about Indiana, but I hope you'll understand. Here's hoping you'll always have the best because you're one of the best. I find the tears clouding my eyes as I say goodbye to those I love. May they forgive me. Mr. Herring, you're a wonderful man. So many times I've wanted to tell you how much I appreciate you. I'm sorry I have to tell you like this. So many memories to come back and cloud my mind. Memories that I'll care through all eternity. This is a letter that his dad presented to the attorney because he basically said, if she asked for this, this is what she wanted, why should I even have to pay for a bond? Why should I even have to bond him out? Right. If he didn't do anything wrong, which even if she asked him, he still committed murder. Yeah. Regardless of... He could have said no. Regardless of your reasoning, he still committed he murder. killed her. And so... He was trying to get out of the paying the 80 grand the or the 10 grand. <laughs> so he leaves the sheriff's office. Uh, he did not give a written statement. He was advised by his attorney not to say anything. Of course, they're still doubting his story about the events leading up to the shooting. They said they're still checking his story out. They wanted to have him take a lie detector test, but of course his uh, attorney advised against it. And they referenced the note. The note was, I think, on the outside of it, it said, if anything happened to me, in quotes. A pathologist who performed a postmortem said the examination showed she died from a shotgun blast, which tore into the side of her head and partially decapitated her. Holy shit. They made sure to note that the victim had not been criminally assaulted. Mac is saying again, there is no motive. I think I'm crazy. That's all I can say. He said he was first approached by Betty on Monday during rehearsal for school play, but it wasn't until Tuesday that he agreed. She did say she tried to take sleeping pills once before, but it just made her sick. They asked him specifically, why did you kill her? And he said she couldn't take living anymore. I did it because I felt like I had to, and she thought it was best. When they asked him why he decided, he said, I had my mind made up when I went to pick her up. I had hoped to talk her out of it, but I knew I could go through with it if I had to. He said after he shot her, I just took off my clothes, pulled her into the middle of the pond, She sank right away. She had 50 pounds of lead tied to her. They asked if she knew that he was going to put her in the water. He said she did know of the plans after. She was aware that we were going to put her in the water. He went back to school on Wednesday like nothing had happened. When they asked him how he felt about it in the jail, he said, I've never felt worse in my life, but I know she is better off. He said, there was a time last night when I wish I did the same to myself. I think I'm crazy. That's all I can say. I am sorry for what I have done to Mr. and Mrs. Williams, Betty's sisters, and my mother. I am not sorry for myself, but for the other people I have hurt. They asked him what he would do if we could turn the clock back 24 hours. He said, if I knew what my feeling would be now, I would not have gone through with it. So he's regretful, clearly. Well, is he regretful of the way he feels or because he got caught? Sounds like both. Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, yeah. Well, uh, but I say he got caught. He did try to lie at first, but he told them everything they needed to know. He was fairly forthcoming. I'm not trying to give him credit or anything. Right, right. He was um, an honest killer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and But the Sheriff Edens is his name. He's like, regardless of all of this, you don't take people out and kill them like rabbits. Hmm. Even if you accept the story that he killed her because she asked him to, it's murder. 
you can hardly call it a mercy killing. Mm -hmm. So they're calling it brutal, cold-blooded, and they want to send him to the electric chair for it. They say that they expect to go to court in, uh, in one to three weeks. They've recommended that the state ask for the death penalty. The fact that he got his shotgun, the weights, and the wire to tie them to put the weights around her waist constitutes murder with malice of Malice, malice, malice. Yeah. This is the first time in the in the newspaper article, it's a few days after, that they call it the kiss and kill case. They indicted him in June of 61. They've got it scheduled for September. February of 1962. Herring's attorney, his name is Warren Burnett. I think he might be our salty person in this story. And maybe the Judge Olson, but definitely... Warren Burnett. So in a surprise move, his attorney asked for a separate trial to cover the issue of the defendant's sanity at the time of the slaying. Not necessarily right now, but at the time of the slaying. So his attorney, Burnett, filed a motion for a separate trial claiming temporary insanity. And of course, the prosecutors immediately protested, said no, no, no. Um, So they asked the judge for a private hearing in his chambers. The district attorney told the court he would like to have hearing examined by a psychiatrist chosen by the state. Burnett presented the court with an affidavit from the teenager's father, in which the father said his son was insane at the time of the murder. This is what the affidavit from his father said. Based on the intimate contact I have had with him over the years and the many opportunities I have had to obtain knowledge of his mental process. It is my opinion that at the time of the alleged act charged by said indictment, he was then temporarily unable to distinguish right and wrong as to such act. In other words, it is my opinion that he was temporarily in a state of insanity. How can anyone have an opinion about that moment when they weren't there? Nobody was there, just him and her. That's it. Maybe he wasn't insane, but he was odd. What kind of person can kill and then act like nothing happened? He never shed a tear. Psychopath. He, nobody knew. Like, he went to school the next day. Nobody was suspicious of him at all until they said, it finally came out that he was the last one that saw her. His parents weren't suspicious. His friends weren't suspicious. No one. How do you just kill her, get in your car, go home, go to bed, get up, go to school, like everything's fine? It makes me wonder if she hadn't been on that date with Ink, if he had pulled up and she got in the car and they left together, if she had ever been found. Because the only reason why they went to him, Ink saw him pull up yeah, because of what true. she said. Oh, that's true. So if she had been in her room or waiting for him and he she got in the car and left. So you think the only reason, oh yeah, because Ink saw him pull yeah, up. Because otherwise, where would they have gone? They would have taken no them leads. a lot longer to find. And why would they have gone 30 miles somewhere else and looked in a stock tank? I mean, why? Yeah. They wouldn't have. So, I mean, I guess it's a blessing in disguise. <sighs> Thank God they did or else she may have been a cold case. The next day, Judge Olson granted the sanity hearing and scheduled jury selection. They actually said, okay, we were going to have a hearing to determine if he was sane at the time. And you know, it made me, shooting. when I read that, it made me so mad because me too. when I was reading it, they had that the state, of course, was going to fight the motion. But if he was found insane, he would be set free yeah. under Texas law. Yeah. That's why they're going down this path. And he could never be tried for murder. That for murder. that for that murder. Yeah. So then it's like he just gets to walk free mm-hmm. and there's no justice for her. Yep. I mean, I think anyone who shoots another person in that moment may not be considered insane, but there's something going on in that moment. They damn sure ain't right. I mean, even if somebody breaks in my house and I shoot them, I'm in a state of severe distress, which is why I'm shooting them. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I am temporarily insane in that moment. I'm going to yeah, fight for my family. That's a completely different thing. That's right. fight or flight. That's exactly right. Survival mode. And Survival. you're protecting what's yours. This is not like that. But, the, but that's is... what I'm saying. Like anytime you're about to shoot someone, yeah. there's a mental thing that happens with you. Slowly. Whether it be for the right reason or the wrong, you don't shoot anyone because you're completely in your right state of mind. No one's like, okay, I'm gonna shoot you now, no problem. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna shoot you. It's not a big deal. I'm just gonna kill you, right? Like, why are you pointing your fake gun at me? I feel, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a little intimidated. I need you to back off, okay? All right, so now we have a jury of eight men and four women selected for this sanity trial. They say that he, uh, that Mac is sitting there squirming in his chair, nervously running his fingers through his hair as his attorney outlined the events leading up to the slaying. Uh, the defense attorney told the jurors that testimony would show that Elizabeth Jean tried to commit suicide earlier and was depressed. The state's attorney sought permission to call in a psychiatrist to examine hearing, but Judge Olson denied the plea because a defense psychiatrist had already examinated him. Examinated? I said it again. I just said freaking examinated, not examined. That's a callback to a previous mm -hmm. episode. Mm -hmm. There you go. It's a word. Use it. And so we referenced a letter earlier. This was a letter that was written by Betty in her handwriting, which they had it analyzed. I mean, there's plenty of evidence because she had a diary that she wrote in. And so there mm -hmm. were other very easy to compare. So this is the part of the letter that they read at the sanity hearing. <clears throat> I want everyone to know that what I'm about to do in no way implicates anyone else. I say this to make sure that no blame falls on anyone other than myself. I have depressing problems, problems that concern, for the most part, myself. I am waging a war within myself, a war to find the true me, and I fear I'm losing the battle. Rather than admit defeat, I'm going to beat a quick retreat into the no man's land of death. As I have only the will and not the fortitude necessary, a friend of mine, seeing how great is my torment, has graciously consented to look after the details. His name is Mac Herring. And I pray that he will not have to suffer for what he is doing for my sake. I take upon myself, all blame for it lies on me alone. Sincerely, Betty Williams. I mean, just because she's confirming his reasoning doesn't make it okay. No. Mr. Herring also testified, and this is his dad, I think he was pressured and pressured and pressured until he lost contact with reality. Then they call Mr. Bill Rose, Mac's friend and the popular high school boy mm -hmm. that she slept with. Rose testified that once while he was talking to Betty, she asked him, do you think I'm a virgin? A virgin of what? A like a virgin. Like a virgin of Windows. 2.5. Do you think I'm a virgin? Rose said he told her he didn't give a damn one way or the other. Oh, snap. He said she then began talking about all the boys in Odessa that she had romanced with and said she had been intimate with several of them. Then he testified that they drove into the country and she tried to get him to make love to her, but he said he refused. The next day... Oh, yeah. He's psychotic. Yeah. He, Herring, and Betty went for a drive. Rose said they stopped. She went into the restroom. And Mac asked him whether or not they had been together. Rose said no, and Mac accepted this explanation and moved on. Then they had six police officers testified saying they believed that he was sane because they arrested him shortly after. It was abnormal in the way he was acting, but he didn't seem like he was crazy, you know. Then they let Mac take the stand, and he says, I'm not sure what happened when I lost reality. A lot of the questions they asked him, he said he didn't know or I don't remember. I can't tell when I lost reality after she kept asking me to kill her. He also added that he didn't remember discussing with a friend a letter in which the girl wrote that Herring agreed to kill her. Five days later, the jurors are pondering the sanity and they call for review of the testimony from the defense psychiatrist like I say you just want to go over it again so the court reporter found it and they had to listen to it again I guess they just wanted to make sure what the outcome of that was so the very next day what do you think happened what do you think the outcome of this is I think they should say that he was not insane well they'd said he was insane when he pulled the trigger Herring his lawyer and his parents walked from the courtroom shedding tears of relief like you said he can't be tried on the charge of murder with malice of her present sanity is not under challenge he is according to legal observers of the trial free and absolved of all guilt in the kiss and kill slang the jury which once reported it was deadlocked 10 to 2 in favor of insanity became unanimous after 11 hours of deliberation. I just don't know what... So that means there were two people in there that were like, mm, I don't know. I don't think he's... I don't think he was insane. I think that was he knew, us. He knew what he was doing. Exactly. The defense psychiatrist testified that Herring was dethroned of his reason, 
when he killed the girl, the salty defense attorney, Burnett, established a legal precedence in Texas. Olson allowed a trial to determine whether Herring was sane at the time of the alleged crime, even though his mental fitness to stand trial was not in question. I guess that had never happened before. Burnett said he found a loophole in the law, which until recent amendment by the Texas legislature had not permitted the defense to ask for a trial to determine sanity at the time of the crime, the alleged crime. The amended law apparently was intended to allow this only when present sanity also was to be determined. So you're only supposed to use it when you're challenging both sanity at the time of the crime and current sanity. So somehow Burnett found a loophole or was able to fool Judge Olson into believing that you could still have the sanity hearing even though you're not questioning his sanity both presently and at the time. I was going to say, because anytime we've we've read any of these trials or listened to them, if they've done a sanity hearing, mm-hmm. it's based on them. Not how can they determine what his state of mind was at the time he shot her when that's already passed. You can only determine his sanity at the present moment unless he was seeing a psychiatrist prior to the murder. Which he wasn't. I mean, so how that's like saying 30 minutes ago when I was by myself, I was insane. You can't test me for it because I wasn't there. (laughs) I was only there. You're a, you're a God fearing (laughs) woman. You're not going to lie. You know, like how, how do you determine that? It just seems like the laws, there's so many, I mean, um, I I do think that he was pressured and I think that pressure can cause you to act impulsively, but I don't agree that he could, was insane at the time. There's too much pre-planning to be. I mean, clearly he, he was a hunter. He knew how to use a gun. He had probably shot deer or whatever before. I mean, if his dad has a hunting lease, then he probably went with him. He knew where the shotgun was. He knew where the bullets were. You know, he knew what he was doing. He let her pick out the murder weapon. Yep, he did. That's Um, premeditated to the limit. I mean, and I don't believe that he would have done it had she not come up with a plan. But I just, I, he just shouldn't have executed. The salty attorney, Burnett, convinced the judge that, that this would work. But he did say that he expected the legislature to change the law to prevent this maneuver. That won his client freedom. He knew. Like this, I got away with it. They're going to fix this loophole right away because... Well, good for him. Good for who? Good for the attorney for making sure that this won't happen again. No. He's not saying he's making sure. He's saying, I know that other judges are going to be like, what the hell? You can't do this. And they're going to challenge it and they're going to fix the loophole. And I'm saying Burnett oh. exposed the loophole. Oh, and I And he's see. saying, I know. I mean, he, so he's admitting. I thought he was making sure that they were no, going to No, he's admitting that I expect they're going to challenge this. <sighs> and What a shady character. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know you got in under the radar and you're just going to boast about it. Several months later, the state Supreme Court reopened this kiss and kill murder case. They threw out the insanity verdict. So at this point, Judge Olson passed away. So he improperly assumed jurisdiction to determine the insanity hearing. So the court agreed with the state's contention that the court could not rule sanity at the time of the murder without also ruling on his insanity at the time of his trial, which is what you can't. Which makes perfect sense. Absolutely. They said that they were going to redo it. That was in June. They don't get much movement until October where they decide they're going to transfer hearing to Beaumont. It's too public. He's not going to get jurors that don't know anything about it. In December of 1962, they charge him with murder. The maximum penalty is death by electric chair. Mm. The district attorney says, I won't settle for less than 50 years in jail. And Burnett says one thing. I think my client is innocent. my favorite salty character. The state rested its case after only calling three witnesses. Immediately after the last witness, Burnett renewed a motion for acquittal, (laughs) which of course it was overruled immediately. So the next day, the 11-man, one-woman jury found John Mac Herring innocent by reason of insanity. So I guess at this point, they're questioning his sanity now. As far as they're concerned, there's no more to be said on this case. And of course, his attorney is very pleased and has never been more pleased about any verdict. He said his client was innocent. Yeah. After the trial, everything kind of dies down. Um, Herring goes to Texas Tech, graduates. 
comes back to Odessa, gets married and divorced twice, worked as a dock foreman, a carpenter, a welder, spent 25 years as an electrician, and he died in January of this year, 75 years old, still living in Odessa, same town where all this happened. Most interesting thing besides, I mean, this is a crazy story, clearly. It is crazy. Uh, but there's also stories online that Odessa High School is haunted by Betty's ghost. I read that it's like a thing it is. that when things happen, they're like, oh, that was just Betty. That was just Betty. People write her notes, stories of lockers opening and closing on their own. And of course, the area that gets most activity is in the theater because they all know Betty loved drama and theater. One of the students said you would hear doors slamming, you would see curtains move and nobody was there. You would just hear things. So you think it's her? Yeah, I think it's her. That's really cool. Yeah. But it's sad that she didn't get justice. Yeah. And her poor parents. And most I mean, Im- most importantly, I know we talked about this a few times, but mental illness is something that, uh, unfortunately, our country does not do enough research on or funding on. I agree. Or spend time on. So I know, I'm sure, most of our listeners are extremely educated. and Yeah, they, they are. Know, That's why they listen to us. Of course. But I just want to make sure everybody knows that if somebody reaches out to you about wanting to kill themselves or not want to be a part of this world or extremely unhappy. Take it seriously. Always. Just like in the healthcare field, everybody has AIDS. We pretend like everybody has AIDS. Yeah. We glove up. We clean up every, t- every time. I never do anything without gloves because you never know. And so if somebody threatens something, don't assist them. Please don't. It's not good. Don't be a John Mac Herring. Don't don't be that don't. person. But do reach out to a professional or call nine one one. Call the suicide hotline because it's it is a it is very sad how much mental illness is part of a lot of these cases that yeah, we cover, it, and it's just not something that America as a whole that we are doing anything about. No, like we see enough. it on the news every day. People do things, and it all goes back to mental illness, and we're just not doing anything about it. No as a nation the saddest part of this whole story i really think that betty was so in love with mac that this was her way talking about dying and asking for his help was her way of still being close to him i really believe that at the moment when she's on her knees and he's getting ready to kill her i really think deep inside she's hoping that he tells her he doesn't want her to die I think in her mind, she's seeing this movie play in her head where it's very romantic. And he's like, oh, Betty, I can't do this. I love you. We can be together forever. And everything would have been fine with her. I really don't think she thought he was going to kill her. I really, really think that that was her way of getting him back. And they had a nice talk and she was happy. I don't believe she was happy because she was dying. She was happy because she was with Matt. Yeah, I, I truly believe that. When we were talking about this earlier, it was like a light bulb went off when you mm-hmm. said that. Because she didn't say these things before he broke up with her. No, she was very depressed and, and, and very upset and devastated. And mm-hmm. she, you know, her family, her relationship with her parents was deteriorating. The relationship with the girls that she went to school with was deteriorating. That was all. And they were really in love. I mean, people mm-hmm. say like... When she talked about him, there there were lights in her eyes. She was very in love with him. And even like what she told her boyfriend was, I'll have to call his bluff even if it kills me. So it's almost like she thought, well, even if he does kill me, it's worth it if he's not going to be with me. Mm-hmm. Because there's just no point in living I, I, if I can't if, be with yeah. him anyway. And so if, at least... if, I, if my last moments in life are with him and I get to kiss him, then it, it was all worth it. It's all worth it. Oh my gosh. Um, and then I also read a couple of other... like couple disturbing things one is i i read it but i didn't put it in my notes but one of the people that she asked to kill her the only request she had was that if they kill her that they not do anything to her face because she said i'm pretty in life and i want to be pretty in death so i thought it was ironic Mm -hmm. that she had asked that specifically of someone but was almost decapitated when she was shot you know And the other thing I want to bring up, back to your point to mental health, you think about how this happened in the 60s, and now when someone that you go to school with is tragically killed or dies or whatever, they send counselors to the school. But they didn't do that then. They didn't send counselors to the school or, you know, wonder, check on her parents or... And I'm sure that Mac's life wasn't great. I mean, some of the stuff I read, they said, you know, it wasn't a great life for him. He lived with us every day. But, and who are we to say whether his reaction was right or wrong? I mean, Mm -hmm. he was only a 17-year-old high school kid as well. 
Well, you know, I love. But there Dr. was no emotion. I, I love Doctor Phil. Right. Yes. He's like one of my favorite people in the world. And there, he did an episode a couple weeks ago, and he's trying to get through to this person that that that's trying to grieve the loss of of her two children, and she has a hard time getting past the grief because she feels like if I stop grieving, then that means I didn't love them. And he tells them, you cannot measure your love for someone by the length or the intensity that you grieve. So when you lose someone or when you've done something, the length of time that you grieve or the intensity you grieve does not measure how much you love them. We don't know what that night was for him. That's he, true. He could have driven back to his house and cried all night long and may not have even slept all night. He did say that and then, based on how he felt, he regretted it. He wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. And then and also, maybe he felt like he didn't do anything wrong. I'm going to miss her, but this is what she wanted. She came to me and she asked me to kill her. She but asked she asked me, everybody. True, true. But he agreed to do it. He was the only one that said yes. And I'm just doing what she wanted me to do. You know, like any other task, I know murder's a big one, but, you know, if you ask someone, will you go do this for me? You do it for them. If you asked Chrissy and mom and, you know, Bubba and Heidi all to do something and they didn't do it, you're like, Brittany, will you please do this? And I did it. You know, you do it for them. You're like, okay, you know, this is what I did for them. And you go about your day, even if it's not the best thing, right? Like, even if Bryn asked me to buy her beer, I'm like, this isn't the best choice, but I'll do it for her because she asked me. Mm-hmm. Then I go about my day, right? Maybe in his mind, maybe he just thought I was just fulfilling her request, regardless of how bad it, I may feel for doing it and I'm going to miss her. She wanted this to happen and I was the person to do it for her. Not that that makes it okay, but yeah. I mean, we don't know mentally where he was at. Age 10 hours later, now he's actually dealing with what he did to other people, but we don't know where he was at mentally those previous eight to ten hours. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many other things they could have charged him with. I mean, he's st- he stole those lead weights from the school. Mm-hmm. I mean, they couldn't charge yeah, him with did, something. He didn't serve any time. Like, he was in jail for a short period. They could have given him five to ten years. I mean, there needed to be some kind of consequence there. Yeah, there should Not have been something. I mean, what insanity. is that? Insanity. What is that? Tell the other people in the town that, oh, well, if somebody asks you to do something or if you kill someone, you just say they asked you to, you were insane when you did it because they Mm -hmm. kept asking you. I mean, I know there was a lot of evidence to prove that she did because multiple people said it and she wrote a letter, multiple letters. But it's sad. It's sad that a mentally ill girl had to lose her life. A beautiful young girl who could have been an amazing actress that this world didn't have. Yeah. You know, she would have been great in Hollywood and... It would have been awesome. So, but that is the story of Elizabeth Jean Williams, aka Betty. She's a Betty. Rest in peace, Betty. So that's a wrap. That's a wrap. All right, bye, y'all, listeners. We appreciate all your support and likes and shares and spreading the word. Got some stickers coming. Our merchandising person, Savannah, shout out the Wick, has ordered us some (laughs) stickers. So we will. Those of you that live close by, or you know what? If you want a sticker, post us a note on our Facebook page. We'll send you a sticker. With that, bye, y'all. Bye. Case File 14, Betty Williams. Closed.